Thanks for listening to Other People's Flowers. If you'd like to have your work feature on the program, please send it to editor at otherpeoplesflowers.com. We hope you enjoy this episode. This week we're featuring a story by Mark Tulin, A Weekend in the Suburbs. This story first appeared in the online literary journal The Cabinet of Heed. Mark is a retired family therapist from Philadelphia who now resides in Santa Barbara, California. Mark writes about offbeat topics, humorous characters, and often fictionalizes his childhood growing up in the city. He has been featured in Fiction on the Web, Elephant Journal, Friday Flash Fiction, Page and Spine, and others. His website is crowonthewire.com, and his poetry trap book is called Magical Yogis. Weekend in the Suburbs As I rode in my Uncle Stan's new 1979 Cadillac, I kept looking out the window and wondering how I was going to deal with such a fucking control freak. We drove past a sea of row homes, past the shabby gas stations, the cheap chicken shacks and the cheesesteak shops that always claimed that they were the best in the city. I used to live on that block. My uncle bragged about one of the run-down streets of row homes. It looks like a ghetto now. They don't know how to take care of things. My uncle was an asshole. I didn't want to hear what he had to say about poor people, so I leaned over and turned up the radio. He gave me a scowl, but it didn't stop me. He just ranted about how people shouldn't make excuses for their poverty. They have to pick themselves up by their bootstraps as I did. We drove past the Philadelphia Zoo and turned on to the City Avenue ramp. These were my uncle's people. People with high-paying professions like doctors and lawyers who lived in big stone houses and drove cars that seemed to purr with power instead of old junkers that coughed up fumes. My uncle bragged about his expensive suits and his fancy wingtips. Why buy cheap clothing when you can afford the very best? I knew I was getting closer to his house when I could see the high wooden fences and the thick green hedges. We pulled up into his gravel-filled driveway and entered his big, sprawling brick and stone house with a huge wooden double door at the entrance. It was like entering a mausoleum. Aunt Trudy greeted me at the door and gave me a hug. Harry, it's so nice that you could get away from the noisy city. I hugged her back and said, It's not that bad, Aunt Trudy. She grew up in Wayne and thought that everyone should be as privileged as entitled as her. She didn't understand why people were poor. Like my uncle, she thought it was some moral defect. Boys, Uncle Stan called his sons as if they were his bellhops. Please take Harry's stuff to his room. Joel grabbed my duffel bag. He was the oldest, and after years of lifting weights, was a fucking bodybuilder. He was also the starting running back for his high school football team and had a scholarship to Bowling Green. Uncle Stan talked about him like he was going to be another Larry Zonka. I unpacked my clothes. I knew that I had to stack everything correctly, or my asshole uncle would say I was a slob or a bum. When you're in my house, you do things my way, he'd say, but in my mind I had already planned to break some of his precious rules. The son of a bitch bought me a Timex watch for Christmas so I could keep track of his nutty agenda when I was over his house. He taped the fucking schedule to my door. At 11am, there was some shit in the living room. At noon, we had lunch. He was so anal that he wrote down that we were going to eat like some fucking restaurant. Tuna salad on rye with chips and sweet pickles. Big whoop. 
I quickly put my duffel bag into the closet, fixed my clothes, made sure my sneakers were tied and my shirt wasn't hanging out of my pants. By the time I got to the living room, Uncle Stan and his family were already talking about some bullshit. Structure, he kept emphasising as if it were a magical world. you got to have structure in your life, or you won't amount to anything. That's what I learned in the army. That's what I'm going to drill into your heads if it's the last thing I do. Uncle Stan had everything. He was tall, handsome, and had pearly white teeth. He was as rich as hell, and he was a war hero. He never let anyone forget that he had a fucking purple heart from World War II, which was the first thing he showed anybody when they walked in the house. The war was tough, he said, but I came out of it like a man. Everyone should go into the army if you ask me. If you ask me, the army fucked him up. He was probably a reasonable guy before he went in. Even his kids were brainwashed. They cowered to him worse than some beaten down dogs I knew in Philly. Joel told his father his schedule for football practice, and Eric handed him a paper to sign for basketball tryouts. I just sat on one of his gaudy, velvety chairs looking up at the high ceiling. There wasn't anything for me to announce except that I got straight D's on my report card and that I had two detentions last week. Aunt Trudy, like some servant, filled everyone's water glass and made sure the plate of mixed nuts was close enough for all of us to reach. Aunt Trudy was tall, thin, and stood straight up with perfect posture. She wore a light blue turtleneck sweater and khaki capri pants, with her auburn hair puffed up with hairspray. Harry is going to spend the night, Uncle Stan announced, as if everyone didn't know. I want everyone to show him our finest hospitality. And he glared at both Joel and Eric. At three o'clock, I want Joel to take Harry and Eric to the high school field where you can toss the football around. Yes, Dad. Joel said, in such a formal tone that I thought he was addressing the Pope. After lunch, we went to our rooms for our mandatory quiet time bullshit. I shared a room with Eric, who put on his glasses and started to read a Hardy Boys book. I reached into my suitcase and pulled out a Playboy magazine. What's that? Eric asked in a squeaky voice. Oh, not much. Just a couple of really nice tits on Miss July. Let me see, let me see. It was like a sick, starving kid wanting to eat a pork chop for the first time. If Daddy ever finds out, we'll be in trouble. Screw your Daddy, Eric. He doesn't have to know what we're doing. I'm sure he has a whole closet full of this shit. I took another one in my duffel bag and tossed him in October. Don't say I ever gave you anything. After quiet time, my cousins and I walked around the boring neighbourhood that didn't have any sidewalks and only a few traffic lights. We saw the church with the big stained glass windows, where my cousins were baptised and Uncle Stan married Aunt Trudy. Do you want to meet our pastor? asked Eric. He's a really nice guy. Hell no, I told Eric. I'm not going to set foot in one of those places. That's the dweebs who wear suits and act like there's a heaven and hell. Uncle Stan's kids were corny. They were all American types who did everything by the book. They would never fit in where I live. We didn't have parents who told us to go to church or who structured our time. We did everything for ourselves. If we wanted to play ball, we didn't wait for our parents to drive us someplace and organise it. We go to Max Mayer's playground with some baseball equipment, choose size and have a game. At the high school field, we tossed a football around. After a few long heaves, my arm got sore and I wanted to do something with a little more excitement. This is boring shit, I told Eric and Joel. Let's play again. Daddy said we should just have to catch. Fuck Daddy, he's not here. Joel waved to a couple of his friends who were headed back from some Boy Scout meeting. Great, I said. Now we can have a four-on-four. Four. 
I had never seen Uncle Stan's kids smile so much. They acted like a bunch of sad pussies around their parents, always listening to them and never having any fun. But now I could see them almost being alive. As it turned out, they played like shit, but it was fun anyway. Eric ran the ball like one of the Three Stooges, rather than Larry Zonka. I lost because I had Joel on my team. He was slow, awkward, and couldn't catch for shit. He kept running in the wrong direction and fumbled before anyone even touched him. After the game, we laid on the big sprawling lawn of the high school, and I took out my pack of smokes. Oh, you better put those cigarettes away before someone sees you. Don't worry, Joel. Nobody's going to see me. Where's there a Gestapo around here? Uncle Stan's kids looked at me as I smoked the cigarette, obviously impressed that I knew how to smoke in the first place. Do you follow the Sixers? I asked as the smoke poured out of my nostrils. Sure, Eric said. My dad has season tickets. Spoiled son of a bitch, I thought. Eric probably had front row seats and was able to eat all the fucking hot dogs he wanted. I imagine my uncle driving his kids in his new air-conditioned Cadillac with the seatbelt strapped tight while the rest of us patsies took the hot subway to South Philly. It turned out Eric didn't know shit about the Sixers. He couldn't come up with the starting lineup, and he had no idea what position Dr. J played. What position do you play, Joel? I asked. Guard. Shooting guard or point? He shrugged his shoulders. Jeez, it was like talking to a sports imbecile. Poor kid, I thought. His fucking control freak father was destroying his mind, making him ignorant of all the important things in life. We made a slow trek back to the house as I finished another cigarette. Joel and Eric kept watching me smoke and flipping my blonde hair from my eyes. It was as if they never saw a real person before. Perhaps the best part of this crappy weekend was Uncle Stan's new 32-inch Sony Trinitron. The TV had four speakers that filled up every corner of the living room. Oh great, I said. Basketball. All of us sat on the sofa as we watched Mo Cheeks, Duke and Duck out of the defender's reach, pulling up assists, racking up points. You could almost touch him. The picture was that sharp and clear, but for a moment I forgot about being at Uncle Stan's boring house and enjoyed myself. I took the opportunity to explain what was going on in the game for my cousins. That's a give and go. That guy's cherry picking. Joel and Eric seemed very impressed. That didn't last long, however. At dinner, I was self-conscious again, thanks to Uncle Stan asking me how my mother was, and all I could say was that she was okay. The reality was that she was never okay. She was always in the midst of some emotional meltdown, and I never knew what mood she would be in next. Even if I told him the truth, he would complain and probably say something like, See? I told your father when he was alive that she needs psychiatric care. He didn't listen to me. Now look at her. I was afraid that my cousin saw me as being unstable like my mother, and I also wondered if Uncle Stan viewed me as a fucking charity case, and that the only reason he invited me to his house was that he felt sorry for me. I ate everything on my plate. It was the best fucking prime rib with mashed potatoes that I ever had. It was a lot better than the Chef Boyarde ravioli crap that my mother frequently made in that old burnt saucepan of hers. Most of the time, I scrounged up a few dollars and went to Dante's Inferno for a pizza or a meatball grinder. After dinner, we all took our plates and silverware to the sink and cleaned them. There were two sinks, one with clean water and the other with soapy. I kept thinking of that damn magic word, structure, as I scraped the food off my plates, scrubbed it in the soapy water and then dipped them into the clean. Each of us dried off our plates with a separate dish towel and stacked it back into the kitchen cabinet. At 7pm, everybody played a game of Monopoly while Aunt Trudy sat in the corner of the room and read some lame book. Uncle Stan quickly bought the boardwalk and park place, but that was about it. 
Eric had a lot of cheaper properties but didn't garner much rent. Joel had all the railroads and utilities and was pulling in all the dough. I was stuck in jail half the time, passing go only twice during the whole fucking game. It was way too quiet at night in Uncle Stan's house. You didn't hear any buses or trolleys. You didn't hear a police siren or a car burning rubber. You just heard silence, as if nothing else existed but you and the fucking night. I'm sure Joel and Eric were used to this, but for me it felt empty and barren, as if life ended at 9pm. I sat awake, wondering how people could sleep in such quiet. I kept my eyes open, looking out into the darkness, and all I could hear were crickets and the leaves fluttering from some random tree. Once the sun shone through the slats of the blinds, I knew it was Sunday morning. I got out of bed, packed my bag as quickly as I could, and sat on the chair. I was ready to leave. I shared 24 hours with a family that made me feel like a second-class citizen. I wanted to go back to my life, back to the city where things were alive and spontaneous. I knew that when my uncle would drop me off at home, he would give me an envelope full of money that I would give to my mother to help with the rent. She would ask me how the weekend went, and I would say that it sucked and that I never want to go back. She would say, If it weren't for your uncle, I wouldn't be able to afford to buy you those expensive sneakers you are wearing. I heard Uncle Stan and Aunt Trudy's voices in the living room. Joel was getting dressed. I looked out at the window at my uncle's big fucking yard with the six-foot-tall hedges that wrapped around his property like a noose around my neck. I dug into my pocket for a cigarette and opened the window. Other People's Flowers was produced by Hugo Gibson, Chris Camon-Vutitam and Hamish Adam Cans. If you'd like to have your work featured on the show, please send it to editor at otherpeoplesflowers.com. Thank you for listening.